Well, good morning. It's great to see you. And uh, I feel so privileged being able to be here. It really is tremendously exciting to be uh, with you over these few days. I want to tell you about three things that I love about relational mission. Sometimes it's good to have someone from the outside looking in going, man, God's given you some amazing grace. And these are three areas of grace that I see God has given you and that I personally am massively blessed by. I love Mike's heart for being a father that raises sons to become fathers themselves. I think that's amazing. I think that's fantastic. I think that's God's heart that he would uh, not just be pulling together in a church family, but that he would be pulling together in a church family so that we can release more. And I, loves my, I love Mike's heart for being a father raising sons to become fathers themselves. I love relational missions, grace, and pioneering around prayer. The Enough Prayer Initiative, I think, is amazing. I think that when we grab hold of God in prayer, bigger things happen than we can imagine. And I love your heart for prayer. Thirdly, I love your honoring of the prophetic. I've uh, so benefited from being in context with you where people like Mike and Angela uh, have come and said, Chris, I believe God wants to say something for you. And the way that the, the prophetic is lifted up and honored and uh, treated with real respect, actually, in saying, Mike uh, Bollinger, last, last time he gave me a prophetic word, he said, I'm going to record it uh, just so that we know what I've said. And I want you to get back to me what you think was of God and what you think uh, you're just leaving to the side because I want to grow in this. So I'm thinking, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's the honoring of the prophetic. That's what the Bible says we need to do. And as we honor the prophetic, God pours out more. And so I believe that you are not just a strong prophetic voice within the world that God's given you in the sphere of influence, but I believe increasingly God's going to give you a prophetic voice much wider. So I am greatly blessed uh, by these three things. I'd love us to pray as we start this morning. Wow, God, it's, it's fantastic to be in your presence. It's wonderful lifting up your name and worshiping you. It's it's amazing that we're loved by God, that we are chosen and dearly loved, that we're sons and daughters. Man, it would be, it would be great just to be a servant and, and, and get to hang out in your house as kind of a gatekeeper, but Lord, you call us sons and daughters. This is amazing. We love being in your presence. We love gathering together in your name, believing that there you are with us, and the fullness of that, it's too much to grasp. Almighty God, I'm with you right now in Malaga. Small room in the Hilton Garden Hotel. I'm there. I named the stars, but I'm here with you. Wow. Since ancient times, no one has heard and no ear has perceived and no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait on him. God, this morning we're waiting on you. Saying, God, we're expecting to hear from you. We're expecting to encounter you as we already have been doing. We're expecting it more. We're eager in anticipation of your Holy Spirit working in us. We're waiting on you, God. And there's no God like you that acts on behalf of those who wait on him. All other gods are dead. They're smoke and confusion, they're idols, they're the work of human hands. You're the real God. And you act on behalf of those who wait on you. So here we are, God, we're waiting on you. 
Amen. We're going to do things in two parts. The first part, as we talk about recruiting this morning, is we're going to lay a foundation, and this foundation is going to be applicable to all of us, wherever God's put you. And uh, I thought it's important to lay this, because as I was preparing what it means to recruit a team, I know how God led us to recruit a team, and I know uh, the grace God has given us, but I'm also where God, actually, there's something about your general grace and your general calling, your general anointing, which was so helpful. But I, I'm also where, God, you've given me a calling. You've given me a, a specific race to run in, a lane to be in. And I don't want to simply bring my lane and go, this is what you need to do to recruit a great team for church planting. And so I want to start off with a foundation that's going to be applicable to all of us everywhere. Whatever culture you're in, whatever your particular call or anointing is. And it's... Uh, We'll see how long we stay here because I just believe God wants to do something in each one of our hearts in the area of foundations in recruiting a team for the harvest. And here's the first one. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Recruiting a team for church planting is all about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Because Jesus is the head of the church. It's his church. The name of Jesus is above every other name. There's no name on heaven or on earth in the past or the present or the future that relates to or even gets close to the name of Jesus. He's the name above all other names. One day in heaven, the name of Chris Taylor will not be celebrated. The name of relation or mission will not be celebrated. Or the name of uh, anyone's, anyone or any church, their name will not be lifted up and exalted and worshipped in heaven. Man, we'll know one another's names. Like, hey, Tony, great to see you. Mike, hey, thanks for that prophetic word. Do you have another one? No, it's no longer necessary, Chris. We're in heaven. Okay, fantastic. That's all right. But praise God. But, but we're going to be worshipping one name, and it's going to be the name of Jesus. And, and even as we're thinking about church planning and recruiting a team, I bet you, you're excited about that. At least I hope you are. I hope you're thinking, wow, great dreams for Malaga. And imagine a church in this great city. And what could we do on the beach? Man, I love that beach. Imagine the name of Jesus being lifted up by crowds coming to the beach. And people are getting baptized there. And, and us having like church banners and people coming going, can I be saved? And can I get, I hope you dream like that. And we should. But here's the thing, it's got to be about Jesus rather than the great dreams we have about our church primarily. It's so important. In heaven, like we call our church Redeemer. Here, I just think you're a godly man for calling your church Redeemer. I think, I think there's something about that name. I love the name Redeemer. I think it represents Jesus. I think it represents God's heart for the city and God's heart for people and God's heart for relationships and God's heart for the nations and God's heart for the poor. I love the name Redeemer. But here's the thing. When we get into heaven, no one's going to be going, Redeemer, Redeemer, Redeemer International Church, the Hague. No one's going to be doing that. In fact, I'm going to be listening out in heaven. And if I hear anyone go, someone knows my church, I'm going to run over to them because I hear them shouting, Redeemer. I go, whoa, did you hear about Redeemer International Church? He's going, no, I'm singing Jesus the Redeemer. Oh, okay. I I thought you were going to be happy about my church. I'm excited about Jesus. There's only one name that ultimately counts. It's the name of Jesus. As we think about recruiting a team, I'm not recruiting a team for something that people are going to go, wow, the work of human hands, wow, the giftedness of that person, wow, the amazing group of people. Uh, We're gathering a team to build something that exalts the name of Jesus. We're building something that's going to reflect him and point towards him. It's his church. 
No problem. It's his church. He's the one who builds it. He's the one who causes it to grow. He's the one who will bring it to completion. He's the one who puts the seed in the ground, pours water on it, causes it to sprout and flourish and dig roots down and cause the stem to go up and cause fruit to come. It's his work and his initiative. It's his power. He's the one who puts the living stones together to make a place where God dwells, by, where he dwells by his spirit. He's the one who adds the right people. He's the one who starts the process. He's the one who carries the process. He's the one who will bring the process to completion. It's all about Jesus. Our ability to articulate a captivating vision, things we're going to talk about in just a moment, our, our strength of leadership gift, our personality and, and power to bring across a great message are not going to be strong enough to build the foundation that God is calling His church to be built on, because that foundation is Jesus Christ. The church is, and this is important, this is foundation for recruiting a team, the church is not about me. The church is not about my call, my gifting, my visibility, my success. It's not about me. It's not about visibility. It's not even like, no, I want the church to be lifted up. I want people to go, wow, church, what an amazing group of people. It's not primarily about that. It's not about visibility. It's not primarily about buildings. It's not about measures of success that are more about humans than God. It's about the name of Jesus being lifted up and exalted. It's about His glory. Redeemer's uh, vision statement is to glorify God through living and sharing the gospel. That's just what we wanted to do. We thought we want the most important thing about our church to be to glorify God through living and sharing the gospel of Jesus. That's what we called it. And we often talk like this. We say, when, when, when we want you to think about becoming a member of Redeemer, we want you to think about it like this. This church exists for Jesus. And it's like we are holding a mirror at 45, degrees ang 45 degree angle. That when people look at us, we want them to go, wow, Jesus, wow, God. This is what we want for our lives as individuals. And this is what we want for the church that God has called us to be. So but because in the foundation, the church is all about Jesus. Because as we dream, as we think, as we plan about recruiting a team, we're thinking this is not about anything or anyone apart from Jesus Therefore, it calls us right in the beginning to be men and women of prayer as we're thinking about recruiting a team. Because it's not a work of human hands, it's a work of God. Jesus says to us through the word, Jesus went out through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, the crowds in villages, in towns, the crowds in Malaga, crowds in Stockholm, crowds wherever God has put you. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Matthew chapter 9. The harvest belongs to God. And our first call is to come to him and say, God, the harvest is plentiful. Will you raise up workers? Will you send out workers? So recruiting a team for church planting is about asking God to provide workers for his harvest field because it's all about him. 
If we start in thinking, how do we recruit a great team? And we think, well, maybe if I ask the right people, if I get enough profile at conferences, if I can get the word out enough, if we grab hold of social media well enough, if I can pr produce a kind of compelling enough vision, people are going to come. No, people are going to come because God brings them. Ultimately, it's not going to be your hard work that results in anything of ultimate good or glory for, for Jesus. It's going to be his work and his power. The first thing we need to do is ask God, God, will you send out workers to the harvest field? As a church planter, prayer becomes incredibly, incredibly important in a way that perhaps you hadn't seen it as important before. Prayer is important for everyone. It's immeasurably important. But when you think about recruiting a team, prayer is absolutely there in the foundation. Jesus, because this is yours, you need to help me with this. It's like, I'm bringing this back to you, God. You've given me responsibility, which I take seriously, but I'm taking the responsibility you gave me and I'm giving it back to you and say, you need to help me now. Please, will you do this? And like Moses lifting up his hands over the Israelites to pray, and as he was praying, the, the battle was going their way. And when he was like, man, I'm just tired now. I wish someone else would, would do this. His arms dipped down. The Israelites started to use. So God is saying to us as church planters, are you going to be those who lift up your hands over the fledgling church plant that, that I've put in your heart and say, Jesus, act on behalf of your name. I'm waiting on you. Jesus, will you bring workers? I'm desperate for you. I need you to do something. Pete, do you want to come up here quickly? Pete is a good friend of mine and uh, someone who's doing a church planting internship with Redeemer and on his way to plant a fantastic church in Berlin. What's God been speaking to you about, about recruiting a team? Yeah, sure. So uh, the season we're in at the moment is a season of preparation. And I've um, been thinking lots about the fact that when we go into Berlin uh, to share the gospel and to see many people saved, um, we want a team to come with us. We want people to come and help us on this adventure of sharing the gospel. In fact, we need people to come with us. And so uh, from the encouragement of others, I've sort of drawn up uh, a dreams list of the kind of people that we would love to see part of our team the kind of dem demographic of people we'd love to see represented, even some individual names. And I've uh, been spending time looking at this list, um, too, too much time looking at this list, and uh, not enough time praying about this list. And uh, to be honest, it's kind of brought me into a season of just a bit of worry and anxiety about, God, are you going to do this? And what's going to happen? And who's going to come with us? And are we going to go by ourselves? And I um, spent some time with uh, one of the guys on the Newground team recently, just sharing my heart and uh, really just contemplating you know, who's going to come with us and how are we going to recruit a team to plant this church. And I just had a very sobering conversation with him where he kind of lovingly eyeballed me and said, you know what, Pete, it's not your responsibility to recruit a team for this church plant. And in that moment, I was like, wow, okay. And it's just this moment of God, no, God's building his church. Mm. It's not your responsibility to recruit the team. Mm. Actually, what you are called to do is to pray to diligently follow up people that, that God is putting in your way, and then uh, as you have faith, to ask people to join. But it's not your responsibility to recruit. God is building his church. And just in that moment, just felt a real kind of loving conviction of just bringing things back to God and not spending time looking at things, but spending more time hmm. looking at him. Fantastic. <laughs> I love it that God is sovereign, God's our Father, God knows exactly what He's doing, and He gives us an amazing call. He says, I want you to co-labor with me in this, and yet He calls us also to bring everything back to Him that He's entrusted to us. So it was Hezekiah in the Old Testament who had been entrusted by God, leadership authority, to lead a nation. 
And yet when the others came against him and were threatening him and were, were the enemies of God's people were besieging them and thinking, man, this is, this is, we're in a tight spot. And he receives this letter, which is essentially, man, I'm going to wipe you out. As I've wiped out everyone else, all the other nations, I'm going to wipe you guys out. What does Hezekiah do? He takes this letter back to God. says, God, you need to do it. Sovereign God, maker of heaven and earth. Consider what these threats are. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's a great church plan is prayer. God, you've given me this responsibility, but I'm bringing it back to you. God, my eyes are on you. I cannot overestimate the, the uh, importance or um, oversell the importance of prayer. Let's pray specifically. God, I want, I want these, we encourage Pete, write down the names of people. Now listen, these guys are free. We'll get, get to them later. It's not like an, unless these guys come, they're not listening to Jesus. No, this is a list between me and you, God. I would love them to come. Pray specifically, but perhaps more than even just individuals, Pray for the gifts that God is going to use to build his church. Ephesians 4 ministries are gifts there to equip God's people for works of service. So God, I pray you'd add into the team that's right in the beginning, add apostles, Lord. Add apostolic gifting that we would be an apostolic people right in the beginning. Add prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. God, add these gifts in that the people you're going to add to this church are going to be equipped for works of service. Pray specifically. Pray, ask God for the right team, and pray specifically for the type of people that you want. When you've prayed for the gifts, yes, pray for individuals. Pray for leaders, pray for musicians, pray for kids' workers. But don't ever be guilty of not getting because you didn't ask. It's a challenging thing, isn't it? God going, why are you complaining and moaning and groaning and worrying? Ask, ask. The guy who has all the resources in heaven on earth says, ask. That's an amazing invitation. Let's be those who give ourselves to prayer because it's all about Jesus and his power. Secondly, um, around this area of, uh, of foundations, examine your own heart. How did I put it up there? Or guard your heart, perhaps. This is, this is very, very important. When we started Redeemer seven years ago, my wife and I arrived in Holland uh, in the spring of 2010. Uh, and we had been for a year preparing for this church plant based in London, uh, traveling over regularly to Holland and asking people to come and join us. And when we arrived in Holland, spring 2010, we asked God uh, that he would be bringing a, a team together. And we knew of, as we arrived, 20 adults and 10 kids, a team of 30 people that were with us to start the church. We were so grateful for that initial team. It was a, a great blessing that there were other New Frontiers churches already in Holland that it was a little bit easier for people to come to, but we were just grateful, God, you've added a great team to us, and we had faith for that. I felt like God had given me faith for a big team to go into the center of a, center of a city to start a sizable church that would be a multiplying church. That's a little bit of the story of how we started Redeemer seven years ago, but if we had to rewind slightly... We're getting on to heart stuff here. I'm just going to share a little bit of my own story in this. If we rewind before seven years ago of moving to The Hague to about 11 years ago when I was in Cape Town, I was the youth leader in uh, Jubilee Community Church in Cape Town. Simon Pettit had recently handed over to Steve Van Rijn, and I was the youth leader. And I loved young people, but I don't know if I was a tremendously good youth leader. The best thing about Jubilee Youth was its massive summer camp. Under my leadership, summer camp died, and, and youth shrunk. 
and, and it was difficult. And Dave Holden was working with our church after the death of Simon Pettit uh, to just help us and, and get us in the right uh, kind of format working forwards. And uh, one day Dave came into my office and he said, hey, Chris, would you like to come and start a church in Holland? We just, Liz and I have enjoyed getting to know you and Karen. We see the hand of God on you. And, and would you like to come and start a church in Holland? And I was like, yes, brilliant. I love that. That's like dream come true. That's like golden job opportunity on a golden platter from someone I massively respect. And he's saying, Chris, we'll help you. This, this will be great. And I thought, that's amazing. I thought, how do you respond with a kind of without shouting and screaming and jumping up and down? So what's the mature response? Thanks, Dave. I'll pray about it. You know, that's wonderful. <laughs> what, what I said is, Dave, I mean, that's just super exciting. But I would love to. We would love to. But provided Steve is happy with it, number one. Because interestingly, he hadn't chatted to Steve about it. Secondly, provided um, you know that we're just young hackers and man, we, we'd need some help in this. And, and thirdly, that I can finish off what I'm doing here well. We didn't get past point one. Because it's not that funny, Pete. I'm, <laughs> this is a vulnerable moment of uh, sensitivity. Just, just go to Berlin, okay? Don't continue to be a, a thorn in my flesh. We didn't get past point one because when Dave chatted to Steve, Steve was like, yeah, no. In fact, his words were, Chris has got a public gift, which means that he looks further along than he actually is, and he's not ready for such a task. Man, that was humbling. That was really humbling. Steve said, Chris, I think you need to die to this. I don't think it's even worth holding on to because that's going to be an unhelpful distraction for you. I think you need to die to this. And just allow God to mature you. Man, that was tough. That was tough. It, it meant like golden job opportunity, golden platter, help guaranteed, versus a, an increasingly small group of kids that didn't really seem to want me to be their youth leader. Well, at least they didn't look like it because they weren't coming. And, and I wasn't fruitful. And it was difficult. And God said, no, I want you here, actually, because I'm going to do stuff in your heart here which is important for that in the future. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Man, this, this verse was lifeblood to me for about two years of dying to what I, what I felt such a passion and excitement about, but but what I know rightly, because I so love and respect Steve. He was the leader that God put over me. And I just knew that God's hand was on it. And so head down, oh, Holland, no, head down, youth. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he would lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God was working in my heart in a way that he hasn't stopped working since then. This is not a, a one-size-fits-all, one-off experience. But as church planters, when we consider starting a church, when we consider recruiting a team, we need to guard our hearts. We need to be aware of what's going on in our hearts. We need to allow God's will to be outworked in our hearts. Because if we run in our own steam, under our own authority, in our own timing, we get into all sorts of trouble and actually we get other people into trouble because we've invited them along on that journey. Be submitted to the hand and the lead of God and the Holy Spirit through this. Recognize that you're always a work in progress 
And you need to keep your heart soft before God and before others as you move forward. A failure to do this will mean that in the foundations of the church and in the foundations of recruiting a team, there'll be vulnerabilities that the devil can jump on. Now, again, this, this is always, until Jesus comes back, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. But as you, as you seek to set the foundations of a church and recruiting a team, if we're unaware of what God wants to do in our hearts, we're allowing vulnerabilities to come that the devil is going to jump on as we seek to build great God-glorifying churches. So even at the start of looking at how to recruit a team, it's a vital that you just examine your own heart. Is your identity rooted in Him? Are you satisfied in Him? Is God enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? Or will it be, yes, no, Jesus is enough for me as long as my church is really successful? Is Jesus enough for me? Yes, as long as I get a great, great big church planning team and we just nail it. No, God, I want to be satisfied in you. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I don't need anything else in terms of does this work out? Is this going to be successful? Am I going to get visibility? No, God, you're the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We could spend a long time on this point, and I'd love us to come back at the end to pray about it, but it is just so, so important that we examine our hearts for multiple reasons in this, for the ones that I've said, but also for this. Every leader and every church has a unique call from God and a unique anointing and grace to fulfill that anointing in the particular cultural context that God's going to take you. And I guess it's human nature that creeps through into Christian thinking and into the church that we tend to be more impressed and therefore value more urban and especially city-impacting churches, but this is not how God thinks. And if we're not aware of this kind of dynamic and aware of what's going on in our heart and what, what we are impressed by and what we value, it's going to put problems at the foundations of recruiting a team because what are we recruiting them into? Our version of what we think needs to look good or what is God saying and what, what's God doing in my own heart around this? See, here's the reality. God chooses some churches and he says, you're going to be big and well-known. You're going to be city center. You're going to have a large building. People are going to come and look at you and go, can we learn from you? You're going to have profile. You're going to be fruitful in ways that people can obviously see. And he chooses other churches and says, you're going to be small and not so well-known. And you know what? In heaven, it doesn't matter which one you were from. In heaven, there's not going to be like, here's the, here's the, the kind of premium pass of big churches. Well done. Here's my badge. There we go. I think those of us who may have that attitude, we're going to be like at the front of, so, excuse me, Redeemer International Church. Sorry, out you go. Thank you. Thank you. You get to the front of the queue. <coughs> thank you. And then, then Jesus opened, this is not in the Bible, but stick with me. Imagine like Peter opens the gates and, he, and it's like, Peter, Chris, we, and he's like, Mary, 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 it's like, Mary, Mary who? And Mary, who's sitting in the back, just kind of, just kind of arms raised, worshiping Jesus, just so excited about what's coming in eternal glory. She's not even listening. She's not conscious about who's standing where. She's just at the back there. And Peter goes, Mary, guys, guys, Chris, stay, Mary, come here, come here. Mary, your prayers accomplish so much. Mary, welcome into God's glory. Jesus, God, Mary, my good and faithful servant. I'm like, 
What did she do? He's like, I led a big church. Chris, hang on. Mary, come through. Let's get in our hearts that we will pursue God's call on us, whether that's visible or invisible, whether that's worldly successful or worldly unsuccessful, whether that results in people going, wow, can we learn from you? Or whether no one ever asks us to speak anywhere. God, it's for you. It's for your glory. You'd see things I don't see. In my heart, at the beginning of recruiting a team, God, I'm just putting it all about you. The origin and the specific call, the grace and anointing to fulfill that call are all rooted in God. He determines the exact times and the boundaries of our lives. He prepares the good works in advance for us to do, and it's before Him alone that one day we need to give an ultimate account. And how easy it is for us, how easily we tend towards looking at someone else's boundaries marked out for them, think, I prefer that one. I prefer those good works. No, God, you've got a lane for me. I want to run on it with my eyes not fixed on well, my, what, what's happening around me, with my eyes fixed on you, Jesus. My eyes fixed on you. This is your church for your glory. I'm just great, glad I'm along for the ride. Have you heard the, uh, the parable, not the parable, the illustration that's sometimes given about like you're driving the car of your life and to invite Jesus to be your savior is not to say, you know, you can get in the passenger seat. No, it's, it's allowed Jesus to get in the driver's seat. And it's not even to get in the, uh, get in the we'll, we'll be in the back seat, God. No, this Nigerian with us praying the other day, it was great in our prayer meeting this week. He was like, ah, Jesus, I will be locked in the boot even if you're driving. I just, just keep me in the boot. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'm just, God, I'm just along for the ride here. I mean, I'm not even going to be backseat driving. I'm just in the boot, God. God, this is for you and for your glory. I'm just along for the ride here. I'm not going to look at what's happening to the right and to the left of me. I'm not going to get into comparison. I'm not going to get into valuing things that actually you haven't called me to value beyond the fact that I'm loved by you. So even in these days that we're together, there's a couple of pitfalls that we could listen to one another and go, yeah, but his boundary is nowhere like mine. I'm not sure that really applies to me because that, that's so different. We can either fall into that pitfall or we can go, I like that boundary. If I do exactly that, I'm going to get that. No, Jesus, I want to learn everything I can. I, I want to listen to people that are, that are running in that kind of lane and that kind of lane. But Jesus, knowing you've given me this kind of lane, I want to learn everything I can. But Jesus, I'm going to put my hope and trust in you. I want you to lead me. I have a call before God. That's the primary relationship. And once this has been established, God, help me to learn everything I can, but not get into the pitfalls of comparing with one another. It's the foundation that we need to have when we think of recruiting a team. Let's go into the shape. And the shape is going to look a little bit different according to the call and the anointing and the grace and the context that God has put you in. So think of that in the, in the way with that filter on. But don't dismiss things too quickly. And don't absorb things too quickly thinking, if I do that then. No, Jesus is the one who will bring all things at their right time. First thing around shape. Understand there are three important groups that will be in your church plant. And in fact, actually in your church, whether you're a church plant or not. Three important groups. The first group is the people that God has given you now. 
If you're just at the beginnings of a church plant, maybe that's you and your wife. Man, that's a great team. Right? That's the people God's giving you now for a church plant. That's your, you're recruiting into that team. Honey, I'm so glad I recruited you. There's one, one down. Great, there are two of us. And you're pregnant. That's three people. Brilliant. We've got, we've got three people in the church planning team. Understand those that God has given you right now, even if that's just your, your family. The second group is the people that God is going to give to you that are going to be workers for the harvest field. So it's Christians God's going to add to you that he's uniquely prepared to join your team to fulfill the calling that he's given you. Christians to, add, uh, to be added into your initial team, to be recruited into your team. And the third group are those that are not Christians. Do you know that Jesus said, make disciples, don't take <laughs> disciples? And when we think about church planning, we're often thinking, oh, which disciples can I take? Brilliant. Don't forget the third group. It's making disciples, not just taking disciples. These three groups are important to think about, and they're important to think about even now, right at the beginning, because your team will actually always be under development. Key people are going to join you, even from early on, that are going to be very important in getting the church where God's called you to be. The type of gatherings you have, even as a small team, will play an important role in others joining the team or not joining the team. So actually, groups one and two are very interlinked when it talks about recruiting a team. Those God's given you right now, and secondly, the workers that he's going to add to you as you start going. There's a lot of overlap between one and two. So we're going to focus on those one and two groups. The third group of the last is part of our reach component and reap component of these days together. So I'm not going to talk about the third group, but the first two groups, those whom God has given you now, and those whom God will add to you uh, as Christians to join you are the, the groups we're going to look at now in, in terms of shape. Here's a key in, getting, in recruiting a great team. Ask people. Ask people. We pray and we ask. Live like Calvinists. What's that? Sleep like Calvinists. Live like Arminians. Jesus, I'm totally trusting in you. I'm going to work as though it's dependent on me. Now, I'm saying that with a smile on my face because don't become so legalistic. You take that in, in its completion. But here's the thing. God, I'm completely trusting you. God, my hope is absolutely in you. God, I want to take what you've given me and do the best I can. It's a little, little illustration almost with reaching the poor. Angela, who, whom you know well because she's part of Relational Mission, it has taught um, Karen and I this from Cape Town days, and we've always remembered it. She said, when people come to you with need, you bring them to God first. Don't bring them to yourself. You're not God. You bring them to God. God, here's another one that's in need. But then you say to God, God, if I'm part of the answer to their need, I'll do it. So we bring people to God first of all, but then we say, but God, if I'm part of the answer, yes, I'm going to do it. So these two things, the prayer and action, trust in God and stepping out in faith, are always working together. If we're deeply praying and saying, no, I'm not actually going to ask anyone, I'm just praying, maybe God's going, well, no, actually, you also need to ask, because there you're going to see the answers to the prayers that are prayed here. If you're simply asking and not praying, God goes, okay, Chris, you just go do a church then, <laughs> but just don't associate with me, because that's not, you're not going to 
trusting me with it. So we need to ask people when in the early days of Redeemer and actually still now because I still want workers to join the team as we go forward. Um, we would ask people like this. We'd say, hey, I just love what God's doing in you. I'm so excited uh, seeing the hand of God in your life. Listen, just at the base level, I'll be excited whatever God does with you and I'll be kind of cheering that on. But I'd love you to consider coming to join Redeemer. I'd love you to consider joining us as a church plant to help us reach people for Jesus. Would you consider that? So there's a, we're asking people with freedom, saying, actually, you and your calling God is more important to me than you joining Redeemer. But I'm unashamedly going to ask you, would you consider joining us? These two, it's a good way of, of operating. It's important that we keep our eyes open, that as church planters and as Christians, we're always thinking, God, what are you doing and how can I get alongside that? It's about pastoral ministry, it's about prophetic ministry, it's about leadership in general. God, what are you doing in that person's heart that I can get alongside and, and encourage and bless? And so when we think about people joining the team, God, what are you doing in people? I want to look with, with God eyes, not human eyes. So human eyes, well, he's impressive. Man, she's got a great leadership gift. There's a guy with an amazing, hey, would you come? Absolutely, go for it. Ask them. But God, I actually want to see you seem to add people into teams that are not necessarily the first people that we would catch our eye. God, help me to see in your way. One of the great pillars uh, in, in Redeemer, I say pillar, he's a real character, but was a guy who was the first guy who got saved that I'm aware of in Redeemer right in the early days. He, he is a serious character. I mean, he's, he's like dotty. He's really lovely, but he's dotty. He was chief nursing officer of the Netherlands. And, and he's, he was this high-powered guy, but he's crazy. And when he writes me emails, I'm always like, okay, is this an English thing? Because maybe it's his second language. This doesn't really make sense, but it's kind of funny. I thought, no, it's an English thing. Until I spoke to a Dutch guy, I was like, no, no, even in Dutch, those are the emails I get too. I mean, the guy's crazy. But he loves God and he's become an incredible ambassador for Jesus and for Redeemer into the city. And, and here's his initial stepping out in evangelism. This is what it do. He'd say, Chris, I've, I've come to know Jesus and I love him so much. And I want to share him with other people, but I don't know how to do that. So, Chris, I do this. Is this okay? He says, when I was really small, I learned the Lord's Prayer at school. So I think that's a good prayer. So I go to people in the street or people that I meet and I say, do you know the Lord's Prayer? And I'm like, seriously, Willem, do you do this? <laughs> and he says, he says, do you know what is interesting? If they're a little bit older, very often they say, yes, we know the Lord's Prayer. And then if they say yes, I say, can you say the Lord's Prayer? And then they start saying it. And he said, a strange thing happens. Very often they start crying. And I'm like, Film, that's amazing. This is the Holy Spirit coming. That, that's, that's fantastic. And, and this guy, he's like dotty and crazy and funny and just a different sort of guy has become an amazing asset to us as a church. Who's God opening your eyes to that you can say, hey, would you consider joining us? Would you consider joining us? So ask people. Cast a compelling vision. Cast a compelling vision. A vision statement is not the most important thing in the world. Sometimes in management uh, circles and as we try and put management things into church, we go, a vision statement is everything. I mean, that needs to, everyone needs to, measure, uh, to memorize that and what's the thing that's going to drive you together and give you a sense of identity. And 
I'm not sure if I fully subscribe to that. I think vision is incredibly important. I'm not sure that a vision statement is the deal breaker. But here's the thing, cast a compelling vision to people that's going to cause them to go, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. What is a compelling vision? And, and, and it can be, I've told you what our vision statement is, probably 95% of the church wouldn't know that. They wouldn't be able to give that phrase, although I think it's a brilliant phrase. I think they should know it, but they don't, so I'm a bit annoyed about that. But here's the thing, I think that vision should be pumping through everything that you do. I think a vision statement is more important, less important to be memorized than to be seen and experienced. And so that when people see it, they go, oh, oh yeah, no, totally, that makes sense from everything that I've experienced. What is that vision and how are you bringing it across in a compelling way? Sometimes it is useful to talk in phrases or to use phrases, whether you want to kind of cement them as your vision statement or not. But like, what is the compelling vision that God's giving you that you're recruiting others into? Is it to make it very hard for people in Malaga to go to hell. I think that's a compelling vision. I think, man, that's, whoa, I love that idea. I want to be a part of a church plant in Malaga that makes it very hard for people in the city to go to hell. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's something else. C.T. Studd, the English cricketer and missionary. That's two great things, so you must be a good guy. Said this, some people, and we use these kind of things a lot in the early days of Redeemer, and I'm going to use it again tomorrow, um, not tomorrow, Sunday, as we speak about vision and mission again in the church. C.T. Studd said, some people want to live within the sound of a chapel bell. It's like, oh, wonderful, Christians close by, hmm, chapel. He said, I wish to start a rescue mission within a yard of hell. I think that's a compelling vision. We want to build a church where everyone just comes in and feels loved and welcome. And okay, that's cool. That, that's great. That family, connectedness, that's so important. But no, what's compelling is running a rescue mission within a yard of hell. What compelling vision is God giving you that you can bring across to others in a way that makes them go, man, God, that, there's something about that. I want to buy into that. I want to go for that. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not totally sure what my vision is yet. I'm not sure I could articulate everything in such a way that the people are going to go, I fully get the whole picture. I'm going to climb into that. No, casting a compelling vision doesn't mean you've dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's and you've got a statement 10 pages long explaining how you're going to do everything in 10 years' time in such a way that everyone's going to be sent out as disciples to the nations of the world. <laughs> We're going to get bored by the second paragraph if it's a 10-page document. No, it's, Jesus, this is a simple, a simple thing. I want to see people coming to know Jesus and experiencing His grace in a gospel-centered community. It's a simple thing. I don't need to know exactly how it's going to work out in the long term, but I'm able to bring across a, a, a compelling vision to say, will you buy into this? Will you come and join us in it? A vision will also be shaped and the, the minutiae of it, the outworking of it will change from season to season. So don't try and set a vision that is so full and all-encompassing now that number one, it's difficult to grasp hold of now. And number two, in two years time when God's doing something else, it's like, sorry, God, thanks anyway, but our vision statement says this. No, you don't want to do that. No, it's simple. Get, get something simple that people can grab hold of and learn to bring it across to others in a, in a very accessible way. Even to those that are not Christians. When we moved to the Netherlands, one of the most common questions we, we got after people said, oh, why did you guys move here? 
would be, uh, you know, would say, well, we actually moved to start a church. You know, a couple of hundred years ago, the Europeans and the Dutch came over to Africa to tell us about Jesus, and now these scallywags have forgotten about it, so we're coming back into Europe to say, man, you've forgotten the message you told us about. So we'll often joke like that and they go, ha ha, and now tell me what, <laughs> but what, what kind of church are you starting? And in the beginning, I'd be like, oh, this is such an opportunity. What kind of church are we starting? Well, and I'd be thinking, how do you describe that to someone who's not a Christian or even someone who might be a Christian or a nominal Christian? Those of you who are church planters, you, I think you'll get this question a lot. What kind of church is it? Man, that's an amazing opportunity. And in the beginning, I'd kind of fumble through, well, we're, sort of, we're, we're Protestant and um, we're, you know, I, I guess you could say we're evangelical, which kind of means that we love the Bible. And um, it's like people just glazing over, I have no idea what you're talking about. And thinking, actually, even if I used words that they might be familiar with, it could well mean different things. Oh, we're Reformed Church. Oh, you're Well, no, 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 no. It depends what you mean by that. We're saying the same word, but, but it depends what you mean by that. We're evangelical. It depends what you mean by evangelical. We're Protestant. It depends what you mean by that. So here's an answer that I gave. You can take this one for free and use it, claiming it as your own one, because it's a good answer, and it communicates vision. What kind of church are you? I'd say, a great church. And they go, ha, ha, ha. Seriously, what kind of church are you? And I go, seriously, a great church. We, we just love God. And we love people and we love taking the message of Jesus and taking it out, showing that it's always relevant to everyone. That's the kind of church we are. We just love God. And that's beginnings of a compelling vision to people that aren't even Christians. Learn to share a compelling vision with people that's going to be attractive. Sometimes in the name of humility, we can hold back on painting a compelling picture. We think, well, you know, it's just, it's about God, it's not about me. Uh, uh, and actually, we're going into a big city, and we just want to learn the language and get into the culture. And, and so, oh, tell me about your church plant. Oh, yeah, okay, well, we're moving in a couple of months, but actually, we're just going to go and learn and going to go and listen, and we're going to go and learn the language. Those are all good things, but that's not a compelling vision. If, it's, if that's the case, it's like, God, will you help me to communicate it in such a way that others want to come on the adventure of language learning and understanding culture with us as we plant a church to his glory? So it's like, we're going in two months. Man, we've got so much to learn language and culture-wise, but we are so excited bringing the gospel. When we, here's the thing. The church plant doesn't start in 10 years' time when you've got the language and the culture. The church plant starts in your heart now, even before you get there. And as you touch the ground in Malaga, wherever it is, man, everything new starts. And from that moment, take others on an adventure with you of, come, we're going to learn the language together. I love the story of the guys in uh, Istanbul. When they first arrived there, it was a bunch of English families. And from about month two, they said, right, no one's allowed to speak in English. We've all got to speak in Turkish in the church. Like, he said it was just weird in the beginning. It's like the only words they knew were like, Jesus, we love you. And so worship was full of, Jesus, we love you. He's just like, guys, we've got to learn more language. This is getting dire. But I love that. It's let's go on the adventure together. That's a compelling vision. In the name of humility, don't undersell what God wants to actually do through the church plant. Be humble, yes, but absolutely be compelling. The way you cast vision does not simply come in what you say, but in how you pray. And prayer with people to get them on board with you becomes an, a vital thing. 
we started off with prayer in the beginning, but even in recruiting a team, praying with others, that's incredibly important because prayer is communicated as someone says, hey, this is the vision God's given us. Will you join us? Prayer is almost more, I mean, vision is almost more uh, powerfully communicated in saying, we're going to just spend some time praying about this. And as someone hears your heart as you pray, man, that's powerful. That's powerful. Prayer is such a, a great uh, transmitter of compelling vision. Model the, advis- the vision that God has given you. Model the vision that God has given you. It's important to be able to articulate it, but actually the way that you model it, like the way you pray about it, is going to be central to people going, do you know what, I want to be a part of that. And it's going to be central to recruiting people into the vision. Be passionate about it. Be enthusiastic about it. Be entrepreneurial about it. Be people-focused about it. I find that actually when God loves people through you, it's a great way of seeing people connected into what God's doing in you as well. So you don't love people for the sense of what can I get from them. You love people because God loves them. And as, but as you do that, you find actually God attracts people to people that love people. And if, as you as church planters get good at loving people, get good at saying to people things like, hey, what are you passionate about? What's God put on your heart? What are you dreaming about? People go, wow, I love, I love that kind of question. And, and you find that people are actually attracted to you because there's a sense of faith. There's a sense of God's hand and excitement about what's going on. Model a passion to get to know people that aren't Christians. This is really important. Model a passion to get to know people that aren't Christians. Say, Jesus, I really want you to grow me in evangelism. I want you to give me courage to step out in ways that I'm not currently stepping out in. I want you to help me use my home as a place of hospitality, not just for Christians and the initial group of church planters, but actually that loads of non-Christians would come into our home. Lord, will you, will you grow us in that? Will you help us in that? So that others are looking in on the team going, this guy doesn't just talk about it. Actually, it's playing out. This guy's getting to know non-Christians. He's getting friends uh, with non-Christians. So things like hospitality become incredibly important. Modeling hospitality models the vision that you're asking people to buy into. Worship and prayer together becomes so important, as I mentioned a moment ago. But I'll give you an example. Um, The importance and the value of worship and prayer together. When we started in Redeemer, we would have Sundays, we'd get together, we'd kind of worship, preach, do a bit of kids' work, we'd hang around for lunch afterwards. And Wednesdays would be the kind of behind the scenes, Jesus, will you save more people? And God, that couple that visited, God, we pray that they'd stay. And we'd, we'd use our Wednesdays as kind of the engine room prayer moment. But we'd often do one anothering in those moments as well. So I remember one time we were going around the circle, hey, how can we pray for you? Okay, we'll pray for that. And how can we pray for you? And we got to one uh, young woman and she kind of mumbled something and, and then said, looked at the next person and said, okay, carry on. And I just felt there's, a, there's something in the Holy Spirit wanting to pause there. So I said, no, um, Vanda, what is it? I think God's put something on your heart. What, what are you asking for? And then she just flooded with tears and she said, I long to fall pregnant and it just hasn't happened yet. And her husband was standing next to her and as tears flooded down her face, the whole mini group of the church plant just crowded around them and started praying for them. And it was like, God, there's something so amazing happening as we pray. This is a prayer community moment, and yet vision is pumping through everything because this is a community gathering around. And then when three weeks later, 
They sheepishly, with a smile on their face, said, we've just found out Vonda is pregnant. Man, it was a celebration. And now this little guy runs around church and we go, you're the answer to prayer, buddy. And there's something, but that happened in prayer. And yet, as we did that, there was a compelling sense of this is the kind of group that I want to be a part of. This is the kind of community building that I want to do. And when you, when you are together in prayer, dream in prayer. It's helping to model a dynamic, faith-filled, God does more than we think, hold on to God for bigger things than we see at the moment. That's compelling. It's not compelling to go, well, how much resources do we have? What do we think we could manage? What's possible? It's compelling to go, Jesus, we're asking you for bigger things than we could possibly do. And then asking others, hey, as we think about the future of Redeemer, what are you dreaming about? And then lead us in prayer for it, and we're going to amen it. That kind of thing, it's compelling because people go, whoa, I'm in something which is risky and faith-filled, and I want to be a part of that. That, that grabs my heart. So uh, at the beginning of this year, we planted a church into Delft, and God's been super gracious to us, and we've, we've grown a lot, and we're, we're too big for the venue that we're in. We won't be able to last there too much longer, so we've started looking for another venue. And this amazing venue has come up for sale. It's like a water tower and a pump house. And we think, that's cool. It's like living water. And God's spoken to us about reopening the wells of God's power in Delft. Delft was the first place in Holland where the Bible was translated into Dutch. And we're like, this is so cool. This is so visible. It's amazing. How much is it? It's like a million euros. And I I thought, okay, well, that's not going to happen. And in that moment, I felt God just speak to me going, hang on, in the DNA of this new church, are you going to believe me for what I can do? Or are you going to be limited by your resources? I just thought, God, I'm so sorry that my default position was we don't have enough money for that. Now, I don't know whether we'll get this or not. I, I don't necessarily feel God's spoken to me saying go for it, but I felt God spoke to me with my attitude towards it. Are you allowing that attitude to sink into the DNA? Or are you in your prayer in the way you, you model with each other able to say, God, we want more from you? Uh, than we believe that we are at the moment. I think we'll stop there. Can we have five minutes to pray? Is that possible? Can we stand together? As I spoke about shape, I hope that, that God gave you some, some things. You think, oh, God, thank you for that key. That's, that's going to really help me. I hope that God did that. But I'm actually more interested in the foundation stuff as we come and before him just for a couple of minutes allowing his Holy Spirit to speak to us and to just reinforce some things. What did he put his finger on as we were, as we were talking a little bit earlier? So I was talking. What did God put his finger on? Is there something in you about looking at the lane of someone else? And actually, the reality of the church plant is held back because you wish you were in someone else's territory. Maybe your recruiting of a team has been held back because there's a little bit of bitterness and resentment that you're not in someone else's lane. And the good works prepared for him are not the ones you see in your own life. And and that's holding you back. So this is a moment of repentance. Jesus, you're enough for me. Jesus, I'm satisfied in you. Jesus, this is really all about you. 
And so I choose to hold on to you. I'm in the boot of the car, God. You just, this is all yours. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me for when I so easily slip into an ungodly way of thinking, which will actually hold back the good things that you've prepared in advance for me to do. God, will you forgive me? Will you forgive my brothers and sisters as they've spoken out things to you in these last moments? And as a corporate kind of declaration, a unity of heart, with one heart we say, Jesus the ground you've allotted to us is for your glory and for your name. And we choose to run with our eyes fixed on you and to live for your glory and to align ourselves to your will and not ours. And say, Jesus, within that, will you recruit teams around us and around others that couldn't be here? And will you recruit teams around leaders you're going to raise up in the future? And may there be teams all about the glory of Jesus and the fame of your name. And may you prevent weakness in foundations that come as a result of not guarding our own hearts. We love you, Jesus. We love you.